0: and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining me once again for another edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray. The last few solo podcasts that I've done, we've talked about living as sons and daughters of God, praying, as sons and daughters of God. Last time was thinking as sons and daughters of God. And today we're going to talk about reading scripture as sons and daughters of God. And I'm probably going to talk on this maybe next week and, well, for sure next week and maybe a couple of three weeks on it, because there's a little more to it than just one 20, 25 minute thing. I want to start out by telling you something that I learned the hard way. God does not want or expect you or anybody to try to please him by reading scripture or a certain amount of scripture or scripture on a certain regular basis. You don't bring him joy by reading scripture. You don't make him love you anymore. You don't gain brownie points with God by reading scripture. As a matter of fact, if you do it as a duty, That can be harmful, can either bring shame or pride, which, of course, is exactly what the law does. And it can actually be harmful to you. However, it can be very wonderful to you when you read Scripture as a son or daughter of the Father. And that starts, of course, with knowing and living and praying and thinking as a son or daughter of the only true God, who is love, grace, inclusion, And who you are one with, and so is everybody else. It's knowing, as we talked about last time, absolutely trusting, believing this and trusting it, that God is omnibenevolent, always good to all people, all the time. That is a major key to getting out of Scripture what God intended Scripture to be. Reading it through the eyes that God is good, Only good, always good, to all people, all the time. Now, I didn't just make that up. That's what the early church fathers said just unequivocally for the first 350 years or so. The first church fathers, in the first 350 years or so, never ever said, Scripture is inerrant. They did say the Holy Spirit is inerrant. That term inerrancy in regard to Scripture was never used with Scripture until about 200 years ago in the 1800s. So please do not read Scripture believing that every word in the black and white words that it says is inerrant. Scripture makes no claim of that itself. Believing that and reading Scripture that way is detrimental to you in your relationship with God, and with everybody else. Brad Jerzak is a name that many of you will recognize. He's a Canadian. He has great teaching on this reading scripture as the early church fathers did. He's written about it. He's done lots of videos about it. He teaches this in his doctorate class in theology at the university he teaches at. Now, Brad loves scripture, as do I. He studied it as much as anybody can. He knows the Greek and Hebrew, and he's an expert on the early church fathers, what they believed, what they wrote, and what they taught. There are a couple of really good teachings that he has at freedomministries.com with Mike Popovich. I'd encourage you to look at those. I'm going to start out by sharing a little bit of Brad's teaching, and then next week and a week, a couple of weeks after that, we'll go on from there. Up front, Brad says, and I agree with him, there are a couple of different tracks that we can take. One for those those who want to know church history and are interested in that, who want to know how the early church read scripture, how they said it should be read, based on their knowing. Disciples who were disciples of Jesus, for example, John, the Apostle John, had a disciple named Polycarp. He had another disciple who was a, an early church father who was very influential, and he had a so you know some of those guys could go to their guy and say, hey, hey, what did John say about this? What did John say? Jesus said, <clears throat> and that type of thing. So that's one way of. One tract of taking and uh, learning how to read Scripture, an equally valid tract is for those who, those people who aren't interested in early church history or Greek or Hebrew, or the culture, they, they just want to know how you can read Scripture and get out of it what God wants you to get without having a more involved academic background. Both tra- tracts are equally valid. Now, for both of those, there need to be some foundational non-negotiables my opinion, and a lot of this is is Brad Jershack's and others as well. Everything of value in scripture points to Jesus. There is no condemnation for anyone who is in Christ, which is everybody. Anything that doesn't point towards Jesus or that you can't see how it points to Jesus has no value to you yet. Now, I'm going to show you what God the Father, who I call Papa, how he got that point across, one of the ways he did. Here's Jesus in his public ministry. He's got his three best friends, Peter, James, and John. He takes them up on the mountain. We call this story the Mount of Transfiguration. So they're up there, and the four of them, and then Moses and Elijah show up. Both had been dead for hundreds of years. Moses to the Jews, represented the law, which they also called the whole Old Testament, the law. Elijah represented the prophets, all of the prophets who prophesied about Jesus coming. And in essence, those two represented everything in the Jewish scriptures, which we call the Old Testament. Well, those two show up. Peter's all excited, as any Jew would be. Here's here's their ancestor, Moses, who is the law, and Elijah, arguably the greatest of the prophet. And then here's their buddy, Jesus. So Peter's all excited, and he gives them all three equal billing. And he says, hey, I hope you guys will stay here. I'm going to build a little shrine to each one of you, and you can hang out there. God the Father stepped in. He orchestrated this whole thing, of course. Took Moses and Elijah out of the picture just like that and said, nope. Listen to Jesus only. Listen to Jesus. Now, the Old Covenant was still in effect when that happened. Peter was in the transitional generation of people who lived both under the Old Covenant and the New Testament. What we incorrectly say are represented in the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Covenant didn't go out of existence until Jesus finished work at the cross. We, we're that in Hebrew. It's a covenant. It's a will. It cannot go in effect in, in effect till the person who makes that covenant or will dies. didn't go into effect till when Jesus died. So they were in a transitional generation. They were still under the law. But Jesus, or uh, Peter, <laughs> God the Father was showing them what was going on here. All right. Here's another foundational thing. If you can't see Jesus in Scripture you read, In the Old Testament or the New, if you can't see that it points to Jesus, don't put any value on it until you can see that. If it represents God as anything other than how Jesus is, don't put any value on it, don't believe it, don't give any credit to it until the Holy Spirit shows you how that does represent Jesus. Here's what the Apostle Paul wrote about that, 2 Corinthians 3, verses 1 to 18. He said, are we beginning to sound like those who speak highly of themselves? Do you really need letters of recommendation to validate our ministry like others do? Do we really need your letter of endorsement? Of course not. For your very lives are our letters of recommendation. They're permanent. They're permanently engraved on our hearts. They're recognized and read by everybody, as a result of our ministry, you are living letters written by Christ, not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not carved onto stone tablets, but on the tablets of tender hearts. That's written to you today. You are living letters, not written in ink, not put down in scripture, but living letters that people see and read today. All right, goes on to say, verse 5. We don't see ourselves as capable enough to do anything in our own strength, for our true competence flows from God's empowering presence. Jesus said the same thing about himself. He alone makes us adequate ministers who are focused on an entirely new covenant. Do you see that in New Testament scripture? Paul says we are focused entirely on a new covenant. You can learn from reading things in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and the first four books of the New Testament until the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. But don't focus on those. Focus, on, focus entirely, Paul says, on the New Covenant. He says, our ministry is not based on the letter of the law, the Old Testament, but through the power of the Spirit. The letter of the law kills, but the Spirit pours out life. And again, the law was how they referred to the whole Old Testament. Don't focus on stuff in the Old Testament unless you can see how it points to Jesus. Now, he goes on, the the subtitle of this in the Passion Translation is The Glorious Ministry of the Spirit, this next part. He says, even a ministry that was characterized by chiseled letters on stone tablets came with the dazzling measure of of glory, though it produced death. The Israelites couldn't bear to gaze on the glowing face of Moses because of the radiant splendor shining from his countenance, a glory designed to fade away. Yet, how much more radiant is this new and glorious ministry of the Spirit that shines from us? For if the former ministry of condemnation, that's all the Old Testament scripture, if the former ministry of condemnation was ushered in with a measure of glory, how much more does the ministry that imparts righteousness far exceed glory. It imparts righteousness. See, I was taught to read the Bible as this is what I have to do to get right with God and what I shouldn't do to stay right with God. No, Paul says, Jesus says, the early church father said, read scripture that shows you that you are already righteous with God. You're already right with Him. You won't see that in the Old Testament. You will see that in the New Covenant. That's what's written after Jesus finished the work at the cross. Verse 10, he says, what was glorious no longer holds any glory because of the increasingly greater glory that has replaced it. The Old Covenant has been replaced. Why would you put any value on it unless you can see how it points to Jesus? The fading ministry came with a portion of glory, but now we embrace the unfading ministry of a permanent impartation of the glory. So, with this amazing hope living in us, we step out in freedom and boldness to speak the truth. The truth is, God is good. He's always good to all people all the time. So read the whole read the Bible through the lens of the Holy Spirit. If you don't, if you read it literally, Scripture will say, you got to do this, you can't do that, God's mad at you, God's going to get you, God's all this kind of stuff. No, read through the lens that God is good all the time to all people, and God is exactly like Jesus. Paul goes on to say, we're not like Moses, who used a veil to hide the glory to keep the Israelites from staring at him as it faded away like God took away Moses and Elijah. He said, their minds were closed and hardened for even to this day, today in 2022, when you're hearing this or whatever year you're hearing it, even to this day, that same veil comes over their minds when they hear the words of the former covenant. The veil has not yet been lifted from them for it is only eliminated when one is joined to the Messiah. And you have been. Now the Holy Spirit's lifting that you by the way the word veil means to have a layer of skin over a person or an animal's organs like i have skin over my head so you can't see the brain inside of it or you know my stomach you can't see my my organs inside of it through there it's also used as bark on a tree Uh, that's how they taught what the word meant you look at a tree you see the bark but you can't see what's inside what's under the bark That's the way it is with people who read scripture through a literal lens with an an old covenant mindset. Until now, Paul says, whenever the Old Testament is being read from a religious literal mindset, that same blinding comes over people's hearts. But the moment one turns to the Lord with an open heart, the veil is lifted and they see. He says, now the Lord I'm referring to here is the Holy Spirit not the picture of Yahweh in the Old Testament. And wherever he is, wherever he is Lord, there is freedom. All right, verse 18, he says, We can all draw close to him with the veil removed from our faces, and with no veil we become then like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. We are being transfigured into his very image as we move from one brighter level of glory to another. And this glorious transfiguration comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. All right, I'm going to give you a quick little history lesson here for the last eight or nine minutes or so. Homer, you've heard that name from history, was a guy who lived 800 years before Christ. He was a Greek poet and an author. One of the books he wrote was called The Odyssey. In it, he wrote about fickle gods, gods who changed their mind, gods who sometimes were totally ruthless, other times they were pretty good. There was never any grace or any savior in any of those religions. Homer's writings turned into what the Greek culture then used to teach their kids for about four centuries. It's like the old Testament version that many of us have of God. Well, 400 years later, Plato comes on the scene in Greece. This was 400 years before Christ. And he wrote in the Republic. He said, you know, if there is a God, he must be only good. Pure beauty and truth and justice. And the word justice in the Greek there, as well as in the Hebrew, means making all things right for everyone, the ultimate restoration of all. And he, Plato wrote in the Republic, he said, if God was ever to come into this world, he would be a perfectly righteous man. And society will arrest him, beat him, and crucify him. He wrote that 400 years before Jesus. He wasn't a prophet. He, he, he was a Greek author, 400 years before Jesus. He wasn't Jewish. He was obviously speaking prophetically there. He said, don't teach your children about that God that Homer wrote about, the Old Testament version of God. Teach them about the God who is only good, pure truth, beauty, and justice. So, many of the people in in Greek society started doing that. Then comes along a guy named Philo, P-H-I-L-O. He was alive and he was born some years before Jesus. He was still alive when Jesus was born. He was from Alexandria in Egypt. That's important to know. He was a Greek Jewish philosopher. He said, hey, you know what Plato wrote here can help us in reading the Old Testament, which was the only scripture they had then. They didn't call it Old Testament. Because he said, we need help in reading this scripture. He said, when we read stories, now this, this is a, a Jewish rabbi, teacher, leader, who was was also Greek and was a philosopher, he said, when we read in scripture stories of genocide and God being wrathful and wiping out entire cities and people groups like the Egyptian army and the Red Sea, he said, those things are not true about Yahweh, the only true God. He said, God is good. These are his words, not mine. God is good all the time, to all people. God is pure truth, beauty, and justice. He said, point blank, do not read scripture literally. Do not ascribe to Yahweh anything that is not pure goodness, truth, beauty, and justice. This is a Jewish rabbi that teaching before Jesus came to earth. He taught rabbis that they had to have a pre-commitment to the goodness of God God is only good before they go to scripture. He said, otherwise, you'll see Yahweh as Zeus or Molech or Satan. He said, so when you open the scrolls and see an angry picture of God, don't describe that to Yahweh. Now, don't throw it out. Don't cut those pages out of scripture. Realize what they're really trying to say. Is it an allegory? We can learn from it. An allegory, is, of course, is a story or a poem or a picture that can be interpreted to reveal a hidden meaning. Most of the Jewish rabbis read the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, as it being allegorical. And they would sit around and discuss, sometimes even argue, what the what the allegorical point of it was. They didn't do it <laughs> word by word literally what it what it appeared to say. Jesus' parables, of course, were allegories. Now, One of the things that one of the ways that Brad Jerzak teaches this, he says, look, for example, in the old Testament, when it says God killed all the Philistines, he said, if you study that, you realize the root word of Philistines is pride. And you understand, Oh, this was written allegorically about God killing pride, not God genocidally killing a whole race of people. Well, It's really cool if you can learn that, but a lot of us aren't interested in it. The Pharisees were not interested by the time Jesus came. They read scripture literally and used it to justify torturing and killing Christ, who showed us that God was not like their version of God. And they used that to kill their enemies. Saul of Tarsus, who was a Pharisee, read scripture literally and used it to justify killing and torturing Christians. And religion has used it ever since to justify killing and torturing people who don't believe like we do. Then after Christ appeared in Saul and he became Paul, the apostle of grace, he started seeing Christ everywhere in the Old Testament and everywhere. didn't have the New Testament yet. He wrote two thirds of it. When Paul referred to the Old Testament in his writings, most of the time he indicated it was allegory. Mike Popovich and many others are doing that today. The Greek Orthodox Church has done that to a major extent for a long time. Jesus, of course, started out with this on the road to Emmaus. The morning after he rose from the dead on Easter Sunday, he takes a couple of disciples who are on the road, and he takes a long time with them explaining what the Old Testament scriptures really meant and how they pointed to him. That's Jesus' example of how we are to read the Old Testament. Anything that's good and love and filled with grace about God, that's like Jesus, okay, that's that's true. Anything that's not, anything that shows God is wrathful and list-keeping and genocidal and all of those different things, that doesn't describe Jesus or the Father. So they meant something else when they wrote that or they just got it, plain got it wrong. Paul's mindset in reading scripture is, how does it point to Jesus? How does it help us to be more Christ-like? I'm going to wrap up here now with a little more history lesson. 200 years after Christ, there was a church leader called Origen, O-R-I-G-E-N. He was a great early church leader. He was from Alexandria in Egypt, and he was regarded for the first maybe 400 years of the church, as this is the words they used, the greatest genius the early church ever produced. All the early church fathers were influenced positively by him. They read things the way he said. They, they did what he said. He started teaching in seminary there in Alexandria in Egypt. He taught reading scripture allegorically. He taught about universal salvation about all people eventually being reconciled to God. And he said, before you open the scriptures, you this is, these are his words, not mine. Before you open the scriptures, you must have the mindset that God is good, only good, always to all people. And it's absolutely Christ-like. And that's what the other church followers taught as well. Then in the year 543, the Roman emperor Justinian condemned Origen, had him officially labeled as a heretic. This was in the Second Council of Constantinople, and they condemned him, not while he was alive, not while he was teaching, not while everybody else agreed with him. The Roman church did that later on because they wanted to start reading Scripture literally, and they didn't want to teach that Jesus was loving and forgiving and nonviolent, and they wanted to control people's behavior. So what he said and what I believe is when we read scripture and it says God is not being Christ-like, don't take that. Don't take that thought. Don't believe those literal words. You know, that's the mindset of, well, if the Bible says it, I believe it, period. No, that's going to end up making you hateful and judgmental and racist and angry and punitive, just like the image of God that you project onto scripture. Origen said emphatically, no, that's making Scripture an idol, worshiping it, turning it to your own viewpoint. And he used these words. He says, that's blasphemy of the worst kind. All the early church fathers said that and taught that the first 300 years after Christ. Wouldn't it be important for us to know that? Now, then in the third and fourth centuries, a little while after Origen, one of the most prominent church fathers, St. John Cassian, also known as John the Ascetic, he was a Christian mountain and theologian. He was celebrated both in the Western and Eastern churches for his mystical writings. He's noted for his role in bringing the ideas and the practices of early uh, Christianity <clears throat> into the West to begin with before Augustine corrupted him. And he said, when you see the words about God's wrath, that is not a revelation of God. It's a revelation of your fear of the lie of the God that you've been taught about. All right, Roman Catholics made Christianity the state religion. They took it over. They based their interpretation on a literal reading. They ignored Christ's example and started the mindset of approaching Scripture literally. And that has morphed over 1,500 years into what evangelical Christianity inherited a couple of hundred years ago, took it to about as far as you can take it and made an undisputed bedrock A mindset of Scripture being inerrant, and you have to read it literally word for word. That's what we grew up with. That's what I heard. That's what I taught. That's what I believed. And you have to have the Holy Spirit reveal to you that that is not true. All right, these are pretty heavy things I've laid on you if you've never heard this before. Your mind is going to fight this when you hear that, but I would bet that Christ in you the Holy Spirit in you, the, scripture, the Spirit in you, is resonating with what I'm saying. This is so important. I'm going to take a couple of more weeks to talk about it. So thank you so much for being with me today, for listening. I'll see you next time on Grace to All with Paul Gray. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All, where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.